Chapter Thirteen of David Elginbrod. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. David Elginbrod by George MacDonald. Chapter Thirteen, Heraldry. And like his father of face and of stature, And false of love, it came him of nature, As doth the fox, Renard the fox's son, Of kinda he could his old father's wana. Without lore, as can a drake swim, When it is caught and carried to the brim. Chaucer, Legend of Phyllis Of course the yet more lengthened absences of Hugh from the house were subjects of remark as at the first, but Hugh had made up his mind not to trouble himself the least about that. For some time Mrs. Glassford took no notice of them to himself, but one evening, just as tea was finished and Hugh was rising to go, her restraint gave way and she uttered one spiteful speech, thinking it no doubt so witty that it ought to see the light. "'You're a day labourer, it seems, Mr. Sutherland, and gone home at night.' "'Exactly so, madame,' rejoined Hugh. "'There is no other relation between you and me than that of work and wages. "'You have done your best to convince me of that, "'by making it impossible for me to feel that this house is in any sense my home.' "'With this grand speech he left the room, "'and from that time till the day of his final departure from Turry Puffet, "'there was not a single allusion made to the subject.' He soon reached the cottage. When he entered the new room, which was always called Mr. Sutherland's study, the mute welcome afforded him by the signs of expectation in the glow of the waiting fire and the outspread arms of the elbow-chair, which was now called his, as well as the room, made ample amends to him for the unfriendliness of Mrs. Glassford. Going to the shelves to find the books he wanted, he saw that they had been carefully arranged on one shelf and that the others were occupied with books belonging to the house. He looked at a few of them. They were almost all old books, and such as may be found in many Scotch cottages, for instance, Boston's fourfold state, in which the ways of God and man may be seen through a fourfold fog, Erskine's divine sonnets, which will repay the reader in laughter for the pain it costs his reverence, producing much the same effect that a Gothic cathedral might, reproduced by the pencil and from the remembrance of a Chinese artist who had seen it once. Drell and Court on Death, with the famous ghost hoax of Defoe, to help the bookseller to the sale of the unsaleable, the Scots Worthies, opening of itself at the memoir of Mr. Alexander Payton, the Pilgrim's Progress, that wonderful inspiration, failing never save when the theologian would sometimes snatch the pen from the hand of the poet. Theron and Aspasio, village dialogues, and others of a like class. To these must be added a rare edition of Blind Harry. It was clear to Hugh, unable as he was fully to appreciate the wisdom of David, that it was not from such books as these that he had gathered it, yet such books as these formed all his store. He turned from them, found his own, and sat down to read. By and by David came in. Amor sonne. I doubt, Mr. Sutherland, I'm disturbing ye. 
not at all answered hugh besides i am not much in a reading mood this evening mrs glassford has been annoying me again poor body what she's been saying new thinking to amuse david hugh recounted the short passage between the them recorded above david however listened with a very different expression of countenance from what hugh had anticipated and when he had finished took up the conversation in a kind of apologetic tone weel but you see said he folding his palms together she has not just had altogether fair play she does not come of a good breed man it's a fine thing to come of a good breed they have a hantle to answer for it come of decent decent forebears i thought she brought the laird a good property said hugh not quite understanding david oh ay she brought him gow penfuls of siller but who was it gotten and ye ken it's no riches at ill make a good breed except it be of maggots the richer cheese the more maggots ye ken ye might not spake of this but the mistress's father was weel kent to have made his siller by the fardens and balbies in creeping crafty ways he was a bit merchant in aberdeen and i keep it his thumb wheel ahint the paint of the ilwan so it made him made an inch or two upon ilka yard he sold so he took from his soul and put into his siller bag and had little to give his daughter but a good tauture mr sutherland it's a fine thing to come of decent folk no to look at yourself i can nothing aboot your family but ye seem at eyesight to come of a good breed for the bodily part of ye that's a small matter but from what i have seen and i trust in god i'm no mistaken ye come of the right breed for the mind as weel i'm no flattering ye mr sutherland but just laying it upon ye at given ye had an honest father and grandfather and especially a good mother ye have a hape to answer for and ye ought never to be hard upon them at has some creeping creatures for they cannot help it so weel as the like of you and me can david was not given to boasting hugh had never heard anything suggesting it from his lips before he turned full round and looked at him on his face lay a solemn quiet either from a feeling of his own responsibility or a sense of the excuse that must be made for others what he had said about signs of breed in hugh's exterior certainly applied to himself as well his carriage was full of dignity and a certain rustic refinement his voice was wonderfully gentle but deep and slowest when most impassioned he seemed to have come of some gigantic antediluvian breed there was something of the titan slumbering about him he would have been a stern man but for an unusual amount of reverence that seemed to overflood the sternness and change it into strong love no one had ever seen him thoroughly angry his simple displeasure with any of the labourers the quality of whose work was deficient would go further than the laird's oaths he sat looking at david who supported the look with that perfect calmness that comes of unconscious simplicity at length hugh's eyes sank before david's as he said i wish i had known your father then david my father was such a one as i told you the other day mr sutherland i'm a right there a poor simple god-fearing shepherd and never gave his dog an ill-deserved word nor took the skin of ony poor lammie what's wool he was clippin atween the shears he was well worthy of the grave at he want till at last and my mother was just such like with abelin's rather more hold nor my father hear her books 
There her books mostly upon the scalf there abone your own, Mr. Sutherland. I honour them for her sake, though I seldom trouble them myself. She go me a kind of scunner at them, honest woman, with garin me read at them of Sundays, till they near scumfished at the good at was in me by another. There's doctrine for you, Mr. Sutherland, added David, with a queer laugh. I thought that they could hardly be your books, said Hugh. But I have a old book, and that brings me upon my pedigree, Mr. Sutherland, for the poorest man has as long a pedigree as the greatest, only he kens less about it, that's all. And I wot, for your lords and ladies, it's no of their to their credits that's told of their hither come, and that's all against the breed, ye ken. A wilful sin in the father may be a sinful weakness in the son, and that's what I call no fair play. So saying, David went to his bedroom, whence he returned with a very old-looking book, which he laid on the table before Hugh. He opened it, and saw that it was a volume of Jacob Bowman in the original language. He found out afterwards, upon further inquiry, that it was, in fact, a copy of the first edition of his first work, The Aurora, printed in 1612. On the title page was written a name, either in German or Old English character, he was not sure which, but he was able to read it. Martin Elgenbrode. David, having given him time to see all this, went on. That book has been in our family far longer nor I can. I need not say I cannot read a word of it, nor I never heard of one that could. But I cannot help telling you a curious thing, Mr. Sutherland, in connection with the name on that book. There's a gravestone, a very old one, who old I cannot well make out, though I good ends Aaron to Aberdeen to see it. And the name upon that gravestone is Martin Elgenbrod, but made mention of in a strange fashion, and I'm no sure altogether about how you'll take it, for it sounds rather fearsome at first hearing of it. But ye's have it as I read it. Here lie I, Martin Elgenbrod, have mercy of my soul, Lord God, as I would do were I, Lord God, and ye were Martin Elgenbrod. Certainly Hugh could not help a slight shudder at what seemed to him the irreverence of the epitaph, if indeed it was not deserving of a worse epitaph. But he made no remark, and after a moment's pause David resumed. I was unca ill-pleased with it at first, as ye may suppose, Mr. Sutherland, but after a while I begood, began, and good through two or three bits of reasoning about it in this way. By the nature of it, this mound be the man's own making, this epitaph, for no other body could have done it, and he had left it in his will to be put upon the dead stone, no doubt. In the contemplation of death, a man would no be likely to desire the perpetuation of a blasphemy upon a tablet of stone to stand against him for centuries in the face of God and man. Therefore it could not have borne the look to him of the presumptuous word of a proud man even in himself with the Almighty. So what was it, then, that made him make it? It seems to me, though I confess, Mr. Sutherland, I may be led astray by the natural desire at a man has to think weel of his own forebears, for at he was a forebear of my own, I cannot weel do it, the name being by no means a common one in Scotland anyway. I'm saying it seems to me that it's just a daring way, maybe a childlike way, of judging, 
as Job might have done, the Lord by himself, in saying, Had given he Martin Elginbrod would have mercy, surely the Lord was not less merciful than he was. The offspring of the Most High was, as it were, aware of the same spirit in the father of him as moved in himself. He felt that the mercy in himself was one of the best things, and he could not think that there would be less of it in the father of lights, from whom cometh ilka good and perfect gift. And maybe he remembered that the Saviour himself said, Be ye perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect, and that the perfection of God, as he had just painted out afore, consisted in causing his bonny sun to shine on the evil and the good, and his collar rain to fall upon the just and the unjust. It may well be doubted whether David's interpretation of the epitaph was the correct one. It will appear to most of my readers to breathe rather of doubt lighted up by hope than of that strong faith which David read in it. But whether from family partiality and consequent unwillingness to believe that his ancestor had been a man who, having led a wild, erring, and evil life, turned at last towards the mercy of God as his only hope, which the words might imply, or simply that he saw this meaning to be the best, this was the interpretation which David had adopted. But, interposed Hugh, supposing he thought all that, why should he therefore have it carved on his tombstone? I have thought about that too, answered David. For odd thing a body has but few ways of saying his say to his brother men. Robbie Burns could do it in song after song, but maybe this epitaph was all that old Martin was able to make. He might not have had the gift of utterance, but there may be more in it nor that. Given the clergy of the times weren't a gay hantle more in latent nor a fouth of the clergy hereabouts, he would have heard a heap about the glory of God, as the thing that God himself was most anxious about upholding, just like a prude creature of a king, and that he would make men, and feed them, and cleave them, and give them brow wives and toddling bairnies, and sign damn them for his own glory. Maybe he would not get many of them at would spake so furrowed nowadays, for they go on with the tide just like the love. But in my old minnie's books I have read just as muckle as that, and warts too. Many on that speck like that have no doubt a good meaning in it. But hech, man, it's an awesome devilish way of saying a holy thing. No, what better could poor old Martin do, seeing he had no all word to say in the kirk all his life long, nor just say his own word as pithily as might be in the kirkyard after he was dead, and o'er and o'er again with the tongue of stone, let them take it or let it alone at like it. That's my defence of my old looky daddy. Heaven dressed his brave old soul. But are we not in danger, said Hugh, of thinking too lightly and familiarly of the Maker when we proceed to judge him so by ourselves? Mr. Sutherland, replied David very solemnly, I did not think I can be in muckle danger of lick-lying him when I can in my own soul as well as she yet was healed of her plague, and I would be a horse in that pluck, or a pig in that sty, not merely if it was his will, for who can stand against that, but if it was for his glory, I and comfort myself, and the time that changes was passing upon me with the thought that, after and all, his blessed hands made the pigs too. 
But a moment ago, David, you seemed to me to be making rather little of his glory. Of his glory as they consider glory, I. After a worldly fashion, that's no better nor pride, and in him would only be a greater pride. But his glory, consistent in his trouth and love and kindness, Vaughan, that's a bonny word, and grand self-forgetting devotion to his creatures, Lord, man, it's unspeakable. I care little for his glory either, given by that ye mean the praise of man. A heap of the anxiety for the spread of his glory seems to me but a desire for the sympathy of other folk. There's no fear but men'll praise him in the good time, that is, when they can. But, Mr. Sutherland, for the glory of God rather than, if it were possible, one jot or one tittle should fail, of his entire perfection of holy beauty, I call God to witness I would gladly go to hell itself, for no evil worth the full name can befall the earth or any creature in it as long as God is what he is. For the glory of God, Mr. Sutherland, I would die the death. For the will of God, I'm ready for anything he likes. I cannot surly be in muckle danger of lick lying him. I glory in my God. The almost passionate earnestness with which David spoke would alone have made it impossible for Hugh to reply at once. After a few moments, however, he ventured to ask the question, Would you do nothing that other people should know God, then, David? Anything that he likes, but I would take tent of interfering he's at it himself from morning to night, from year's end to year's end. But you seem to me to make out that God is nothing but love. Ay, nothing but love. What for no? Because we are told he is just. Would he be long just if he did not love us? But does he not punish sin? Would it be any kindness no to punish sin, no to use a means to put away the ail thing from us? Whatever may be meant by the place of misery, depend upon it, Mr. Sutherland. It's only another form of love, love shining through the fogs of ill, and so great look something's very different thereby. Man, rather nor see my Maggie, and you'll no doot I love her, rather nor see my Maggie do an ill thing, I'd see her lying dead at my feet. But supposing the ill thing once done, it's no at my feet I would lay her, but upon my heart, with my old arms about her, to hold the further ill off of her. And shall mortal man be more just than God? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? Oh, my God, my God! The entrance of Margaret would have prevented the prosecution of this conversation, even if it had not already drawn to a natural close. Not that David would not have talked thus before his daughter, but simply that minds, like instruments, need to be brought up to the same pitch before they can atone together, and that one feels this instinctively on the entrance of another who has not gone through the same immediate process of gradual elevation of tone. Their books and slates were got out, and they sat down to their work. But Hugh could not help observing that David, in the midst of his lines and angles and algebraic computations, would, every now and then, glance up at Margaret with a look of tenderness in his face, yet deeper and more delicate in its expression than ordinary. Margaret was, however, quite unconscious of it, pursuing her work with her ordinary, even diligence. But Janet observed it. "'What ails the bairn, David?' "'At ye look at her that get,' said she. "'Nothing ails her, woman. "'Do ye never look at the body but when something ails them?' "'Oh, ay, but no that get. "'Well, maybe I was thinking who I would look at her, "'given anything did ail her.' "'Hoot, hoot, did not further the ill hither "'by 
making a bind doon sitten and a bed for it. All David's answer to this was one of his own smiles. At supper, for it happened to be Saturday, Hugh said, I've been busy between whiles inventing, or perhaps discovering, an etymological pedigree for you, David. Well, let's hear it, said David. First, do you know that that volume, with your ancestor's name on it, was written by an old German shoemaker, perhaps only a cobbler for anything I know? I know nothing about it, more or less, answered David. He was a wonderful man. Some people think he was almost inspired. Maybe, maybe, was all David's doubtful response. At all events, though I know nothing about it myself, he must have written wonderfully for a cobbler. For my part, replied David, if I see no wonder in the man, I can see but little in the cobbler. What for should not a cobbler write wonderfully as well as another? It's a trade at further's meditation. My grandfather was a cobbler, as he call it, and they say he was no fool in his own way all either. Then it does go in, in the family, cried Hugh triumphantly. I was in doubt at first whether your name referred to the breadth of your shoulders, David, as transmitted from some ancient sire, whose back was an L-wand broad, for the G might come from a W or V, for anything I know, to the contrary. But it would have been braid in that case, and now I am quite convinced that that Martin, or his father, was a German, a friend of old Jacob Bailman, who gave him the book himself, and was besides of the same craft, and he, coming to this country with a name hard to be pronounced, they found a resemblance in the sound of it to his occupation, and so gradually corrupted his name to them uncouth, into Elsinbrod, Elshinbrod, thence Elginbrod, with the soft G, and lastly Elginbrod, as you pronounce it, now with the hard G. This name, turned from Scotch into English, would then be simply Martin Albor. The cobbler is in the family, David, descended from Jacob Bingman himself, by the mother's side. This heraldic blazon amused them all very much, and David expressed his entire concurrence with it, declaring it to be incontrovertible. Margaret laughed heartily. Besides its own beauty, two things made Margaret laugh of some consequence. One was that it was very rare, and the other that it revealed her two regular rows of dainty white teeth, suiting well to the whole build of the maiden. She was graceful and rather tall, with a head which, but for its smallness, might have seemed too heavy for the neck that supported it so ready it always was to droop like a snowdrop. The only parts about her which Hugh disliked were her hands and feet. The former certainly had been reddened and roughened by household work, but they were well formed notwithstanding. The latter he had never seen, notwithstanding the barefoot habits of Scotch maidens, for he saw Margaret rarely except in the evenings, and then she was dressed to receive him. Certainly, however, they were very far from following the shape of the clumsy country shoes by which he misjudged their proportions. Had he seen them, as he might have seen them some part of any day during the summer, their form, at least, would have satisfied him. End chapter 13